In my original description of this sermon, I wrote that International Peace Day was celebrated on September 21st. And Jan Clark came to me as she was preparing news and notes for this week and asked, don't you mean is celebrated? It will continue to be celebrated on that date, right? Uh, Yes, I said, good catch. My mistake. And not to read too much into my mistake or try and explain it, but there is a way in which I unconsciously put peace in the past tense. The work toward peace, the focus on peace, the vision of peace. You need only look at the music in our service today. The Beatles, the Youngbloods, Cat Stevens, my tie. Thank you, Richard Janai, for lending me his tie, the Sergeant Pepper's tie. It is all music of a certain... All music of a certain, shall we say, vintage. There is a way in which, culturally speaking, peace as a goal has moved off the center stage of concerns and been reinterpreted, one might even say exposed, in such a way that it no longer seems worthy of our highest aspirations. I was called to take a political survey on Friday night and peace was conspicuously absent from the many issues I could choose from as the one that most concerned me. And indeed, I would have been surprised if it had been mentioned amidst the much more familiar topics, jobs and the economy, immigration, taxes, health care, education, environmental concerns. We are no longer encouraged to believe that peace provides safety, but rather that safety, ensured, we are told, by border walls and drone strikes and airport security and home security and armed security guards and space forces and enhanced interrogation and arming teachers and border walls and the right to bear arms and good guys with guns and more and more and more prisons and stricter laws and more severe punishments and taking the fight over there and keeping them out and a $716 billion, I repeat, $716 billion defense budget, quote, increasing arsenals of virtually every weapon, unquote, says our president. We no longer imagine that peace will make us safe, but rather that safety will bring peace. How's that working? The word peace is maybe most commonly heard these days in the popular phrase, no justice, no peace. In a chant, I have shouted myself in the streets of Tucson and Phoenix and San Luis Obispo and most recently San Diego. No justice, No peace. I get that. But today I am wondering if we don't take the time to unpack it, what it is telling us, what it is telling our children about peace. That peace is an ignoble retreat from the struggle for human rights. That peace is an apathetic stance toward injustice. That peace is cowardice when courage is called for. Is the peace symbol 
in the colorful bumper sticker phrase of a bygone era, truly the footprint of the American chicken? Or is peace only possible after we have been victorious in our struggle? Is it the reward that awaits us at the end? Is it an outcome rather than a practice? Now the phrase, no justice, no peace, actually has its origins in the work of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the world's great practitioners of nonviolent resistance, a man who would hardly have claimed that peace was passive. No, he wrote that true peace is not the absence of tension, but the presence of justice. In other words, no justice, no peace is declared in response to counterfeit calls for peace that are really just meant to silence resistance. It is a response to people in authority who are not actually calling so much for peace as for quiet. No, we will not be quiet. We will not be silent in the face of injustice. But we should also remember that though some use peace in this context, that's not what peace is really about. Being quiet or complicit when our voices and our actions are required. That is not the peace we work toward in the words of our sixth principle. The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Yes, King said there can be no peace without justice. But the remainder of the statement is, and no justice without peace. There can be no peace without justice and no justice without peace. And he chanted this statement outside of Santa Rita, California prison, where he had just visited Vietnam War protesters, including Joan Baez, on December 14, 1967. Speaking of the struggle for civil rights and the struggle for peace, he said, I see these two struggles as one struggle. There can be no peace without justice, and no justice without peace. What I'm thinking is that I should indeed expose counterfeit calls for peace, but I shouldn't ever let them obscure my understanding of what peace really is. These counterfeit claims of peace have been going on a long time, at least since the 7th century BCE, when the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah said, I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The Roman Empire is often celebrated for what is referred to as the Pax Romana, or the Roman Peace, a period of more than 200 years beginning in about 27 BCE. However, apparently, Pax Romana was scarcely peaceful, but rather replete with military expeditions, torture and executions, violent seizure of property, assassination attempts, and merciless persecutions. The Roman Peace? Overall, writes David Corton, author of The Great Turning from Empire to Earth Community, overall, he writes in emphatic understatement, it is a curious idea of peace. 
They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Hearkening back to that Roman ideal, a neoconservative think tank called Project for the New American Century, which included such recognizable names as Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, and Jeb Bush, imagined a Pax Americana in a report published in 2000, calling for the free reign of the U.S. military to strike at will, lead preemptive attacks, and exercise unprecedented dominance over the world in order, quote, to secure American geopolitical leadership and to preserve the American peace, unquote. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, says Jeremiah, saying peace, peace when there is no peace. At the time of the horrific shooting at Columbine, then President Clinton issued a statement saying, we have to take this moment once again to hammer home to all the children of America that violence is wrong, to show our children by the power of our own example how to resolve conflicts peacefully. Michael Moore points out in his movie Bowling for Columbine that the day of the Columbine shooting was also the largest one-day bombing by the U.S. in the Kosovo War. The residential part of a village in Serbia was bombed with targets including a hospital and a primary school. President Clinton said in a news conference one hour before the Columbine shooting that, quote, the U.S. wanted to minimize harm to innocent people, unquote, even while the bombs were dropping. And the words of the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah travel over the centuries, saying they have treated the wounds of my people carelessly, saying peace when there is no peace. President Bush said in 2006, speaking to the Palestinians, I don't see how you can be a partner in peace if you advocate the destruction of a country as part of your platform. And I know you can't be a partner in peace if your party has got an armed wing. It means you're not a partner in peace, and we're interested in peace. President Bush also said, bring them on. President Obama, who presided over wars for two full terms and increased drone strikes significantly while refusing to sign a ban on landmines, won the Nobel Peace Prize and took that opportunity to say, I know there is nothing weak, nothing passive, nothing naive in the creed and lives of Gandhi and King, but as a head of state sworn to protect and defend my nation, I cannot be guided by their examples alone. I face the world as it is, for make no mistake, evil does exist in the world. And now, prior to being such good friends with Kim Jong-un, President Trump said to reporters, North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, 
peace when there is no peace. I think of that line from Jeremiah after each of the many, too many mass shootings. Three reported this week in the space of 24 hours when nothing, 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 nothing happens afterward but political bickering, posturing, positioning, and finger pointing at those who suffer from mental illness. I think of it when I hear another and another and yet another instance of police violence against a person of color with no one held accountable. I think of it upon reading that U.S.-made bombs have been identified at the scenes of numerous Saudi airstrikes in Yemen where hundreds of civilians and most recently dozens of boys in a school bus were killed and the only response from the U.S. is that, quote, we don't make targeting decisions for the Saudi coalition, unquote. I hear the words of Aidan Ballou, Earth has heard too long of battle. I hear the words of Olympia Brown. We can never make the world safe by fighting. I think to myself they have treated the wounds of my people carelessly saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And when I have exhausted myself with righteous indignation and pointed outward in as many different directions as I can to expose the offenders against peace and become thoroughly agitated and unsettled and angry in my sincere desire for peace to reign, I have to finally come back to myself and ask, how am I doing? When was the last time I felt peaceful? What does peace in my life look like? What does peacefulness feel like? Am I nurturing peace in myself? Am I spreading peace? Am I breathing in peace and breathing out love? Almost couldn't breathe out that time. But <clears throat> am I, in the words of Thich Nhat Hanh, being peace? Because the truth is, I don't have to wait for those in power to work toward the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Which doesn't mean that I shouldn't do my best to hold them accountable, but it is my responsibility to. I can start right here in my own sphere. Olympia Brown said it is the work we are appointed to do. We must ever teach this great lesson. It is ours to do. It is ours to be. And when I seek to nurture peace in my own life, I return to the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Reminding myself of what is real, reminding myself of what is beyond my control, reminding myself of what I have the power to shape, express, change my response to the world around me. If I remain in this awareness, I have the potential, haltingly, imperfectly, sporadically, but the potential to spread peace, to inspire peace, to be peace. Peace may be currently out of fashion. 
I was tempted to have Mark do the Nick Lowe song made famous by Elvis Costello. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Peace may be out of fashion, but like my colleague, the Reverend Sean Parker Dennison, I'm not willing to give up on it. And if I am working to create a world community with peace and liberty and justice, with peace for all, then I must start by finding, however fleetingly, peace within. For there is no other path to peace. Peace is the path. 